0: This is Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. We're talking this week with staff and friends of City to City in the US and around the world as we all try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. As of March 15th, churches around the world were advised against or legally prohibited from meeting in person. So one question everybody was asking around the world was how can we be the church if we can't gather together in person on the weekend? This week, people are asking even more questions as it becomes clear that many of these restrictions against gathering might last several weeks or even longer. In this episode, I'm talking with Alan Hirsch, who is the author, co author, most recently of the book Reformation uh, with Mark Nelson, uh, Seeing God, People, and Mission Through Reenchanted Frames. Uh, but the book of Alan's that's probably most relevant for this conversation is The Forgotten Ways Reactivating the Missional Church. In this conversation, Alan helps us see what we can learn about ourselves as a church and as leaders uh, during a crisis that disrupts our rhythms and reorients our priorities. Thanks for listening. Alan, uh, you and I are talking to each other from the same city, broadly speaking. You're in Brooklyn, I'm in Manhattan, uh, but this is how we relate to each other right now in the uh, early stages of COVID, coronavirus, um, what is, what's the term? Social distancing, right?
1: Well, is distant, but it feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it's an amazing miracle if you think about it. Quite incredible. And might have something to say to our, you know, the questions that we will explore today, you know, how technology can cover some of the distance. Anyway, but yes, yes, it's incredible.
0: Yeah. So we're, uh, you and I both know people in New York city and around the world who on Sunday morning, uh, many of them for the first time ever were meeting entirely remotely. Um, a lot of large churches already do a live stream or something, but those same large churches don't ever or rarely meet entirely online. Uh, and so a lot of people were trying new ways of gathering together for worship this past weekend. And, uh. I've already seen some conversations about ways that this disruption will help us reimagine what church ought to look like. And uh, you've been thinking about these things for a long time, about um, what missional community looks like outside of that sort of prevalent model. And so I just wanted to talk to you for a little bit um, about maybe that and what this has to do, what this, um, uh, these new rules about gathering are kind of forcing churches to rethink. Um, i'm interested in conversation about models of ministry, but i'm even more interested in thinking about what might uh what might we want to change permanently in the way uh as American Christians that we think about our faith and church and our mission um This seems like a an opportune moment an inflection point right to get some things right or to get some things wrong
1: so yeah i I do think it's an inflection point um and particularly one of which uh, you know most people have not uh, expected, um, and are probably pretty ill prepared to face. Um, you know, if uh, if the only tool that you got is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. You know that thing about you know being captive by one approach to things, or um, and. There's no question that most churches that you know when we refer to church in North America, most churches here would have very, very sorely overly relied on the singular tool of the Sunday expression, or let's say the weekend expression if you push it. Um, And now that that is excluded from the equation, they 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 literally find themselves in a very tricky situation in their own minds. How do they name? what can happen beyond this in the next three months or whatever it is, it's probably likely going to impact us two to three months. You know, will the church be the church? Is this still the church after Sunday worship? And you know, so that's I think the big question. Um the the other, you know, it's another parable, but it's kind of a useful one. I, you know, like i I'm told I'm I'm not the greatest chess player in the world, but I can play chess, and then more or less what what each move, you know, each piece on the chessboard does, right? So some of the dude who knows chess told me one day, he said, um, "If you really want to learn to play chess, on, take your queen out first, hmm. you know, and then you know your opponent will keep the queen. He's going to cream you for a long, long time. <laughs> you know. But what you're going to do is you're going to learn to uh, those all what the other elements of the chess table can do on the chessboard, and then you put your queen back in." And at that point, you know, you've actually learned to, to, you know, become a champion without kind of over-relying on a singular function. Now, if, if you can say that the sermon or the, for, you know, for highly reformed folk, it's a sermon, but the, let's put it in the worship service for most evangelical, broad evangelical churches, that's their queen, and they have over relied on it. And now it's the queen's taken out. They don't know what the other pieces of, you know, on the equation can do. And I think that's kind of maybe a working... Terrible for us in this
0: scenario. How have you seen people responding to that over the, over the weekend in, uh, in the circles that you kind of keep track of? Um, they're not allowed to meet in person, so they're going online, and what have you seen that uh, either seems to be working or not working?
1: The, the conversations I've been having, and they have been there, I've been more with leaders who already are interested in what, what, what constitutes movements? Now, this has been my shtick, as you know, um, Brandon, you know, this idea of the church's movement. And my best articulation of that um, has been in the book called The Forgotten Ways, which actually asks this very question, right? So the, 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 um, in The Forgotten Ways, I was trying to answer the question, how does the early church grow from around about 25,000 in year 100? It's a low figure, but you know, that's, let's say as low as 25,000 year 100 to upwards to 20 million, 200 years later. But they don't have all the things that we think we need. They're legal. They don't have a 501c3. They don't have church buildings. And when they did, they were, you know, it, wasn't, it was for a while. And then they were houses that were gutted and made into meeting halls, so they were smaller. And then when persecution came, they were confiscated or destroyed. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have clergy. All the stuff we think you need to get the church going and they um and yet they grow it like that which is you know exponential at 40 percent per decade pretty incredible actually china was even more interesting so look at those two contexts and china has the church for 2000 years very well established highly institutional church historians at the time and of to the catholics were the biggest church in china but they were all basically the european forms and Mao Setucan, of course, bans the church, uh, casts missionaries out, closes down seminaries, co-ops the buildings, uh, kills the clergy and leaders, sends people into prison, and then persecutes the rest of them. And the Chinese church, under those conditions of complete uh, deinstitutionalization, and I'll use that word very technically, uh, actually grew from 2 million in year 1950, to our best estimates now, 120 million-plus mm-hmm. uh, like years later. Now, that's quite incredible and, uh, and counterintuitive to the way we normally think about church. So what's going on there? And I think there's something we can learn about those, those situations, but also now situation we find ourselves now. What is a more latent, much more kind of primal, primordial, if you will, way of being church that actually was birthed in those conditions? And that, indeed, could could this situation for the Western church now precipitate at least some serious thinking about movements and how we might actually become that very, very viable, very dynamic, transformative form of church? Well, that's the mm. challenge. Can we do that? Or we just go back to default? Uh, you know, when it's all over, who you know, we'll go back and try and recover and lick our wounds for a while and it's back to business as usual. Or will some of us at least think, well, are we... we the situation has proved our vulnerability, you know, our our paradigm or our mental model. How can we, you know, how can we maximize our chances of not just surviving but thriving in such conditions should they happen again? I hope that many do go on the journey.
0: Well, it occurs to me that, you know, the if the queen is the weekend service, right, in American um, church, right now we've sort of lost the whole back row of pieces. <laughs> people people aren't even allowed to be in the same room, you know, to the extent, and I know you wouldn't advocate for, uh, you know, let's take this opportunity to move all of our discipleship and, and evangelism online, you know, forever. Yeah. Um, so what do you, kind of maybe best case scenario, um, in addition to just the reliance on the weekend service, um, we, when this, has passed in however much time that takes and people are gathering again in any numbers um maybe best case scenario what do you hope that that churches take away from this experience of of being forced to think differently about what constitutes church
1: well uh, i think um again similarly go on the journey of staying with our chess board to learn what the other chess pieces can do in the meantime yeah because you know by over relying on a singular form and function of ecclesia and actually it's not even the most important i mean um one of the you know this interesting look um all this would have been 10 15 years ago back in australia the catholic anglican church in sydney was being sued by someone you know i don't know what it was for but but they lost a lot of money and we played with the idea with them at the time and said if if, let's say, you lost all your buildings. Now, they weren't going to do that, but play with us. Right? If you lost all your buildings and you had no more buildings to gather in, would the Anglican Church still exist in Sydney? Uh, what would it look like? How would you maintain it? Um, how would you kind of grow it You know, as in, into maturity is what we've got to do if you didn't have buildings? It's just a very good challenge. And I would argue that actually that's the challenge I would put on American leaders at this point now, act as if this is going to be more true over a longer period. And, and, and what if, you know, can we prepare, and we have different alternatives. Um, I'm no biologist or son of one, but I was also told by a biologist once um, that um, plants maximize their chance of survival by spread. Um, In other words, um, it's why pruning works, right? So pruning, the plant doesn't know, oh, this is good for me. I'm being pruned. I can produce fruit. All it knows is emergency, emergency, we're under attack, right? And what they will do is they will, it puts all its energy into producing better fruit with more seeds. And because the assumption is that the seeds are the survival of, of, of the plant. So under conditions of threat, Mm-hmm. living systems um s- survive by spreading themselves widely not just in one singular form which is vulnerable mm-hmm. but in the seed form which is of course carries the future the future and again that's a decent metaphor for us at this time
0: too interesting yeah so uh let me ask you this i, I know you've given thought to this and some of the reflection comes out in reformation which is um the your newest project, um, or most recent, I would assume you've probably onto something else too in your head. <laughs> right. uh, but, um, what, in addition to the weekend gathering or, or maybe unpacking the weekend gathering, what other things do you feel like, um, we're over-reliant on, right? So it's not just being in the room together. The, the fact that we need to be in the room together, you know, what else does that tell us about kind of, how we're um, overemphasizing or over-relying on a small number of, of assets?
1: Uh, uh, again, for many churches in our circles, particularly, um, I think over-reliance on a sermon as the singular form of how, you know, you're going to, it tries to do too much, first of all. It's going to disciple, educate, inform, encourage, pastoral care. Everything's loaded into it. And it, it just, know, it doesn't achieve all those things, can't. And I think um, most ministers, most pastors uh, spend a huge amount of their time in a week, you know, uh, I was told the formula is for every hour, sorry, every five minutes in the pulpit, it's an hour in the study, which if you say it's a 40 minute sermon, which is on average, that's a fair, fair few hours in the study. But if you, if you, so that we're putting all our efforts into sermons right like that. Truthfully, let's be very honest now, Brandon, you know, and this, this bears itself out in research. Most people won't remember what you said last week. Now, you can test this. Uh, I tested with leaders and say, do you remember what you said last week? And most people say, yeah, we're in the middle of a series, you know, or something like that. And so what about the week before, brother? Uh, And I said, what about the week before? Well, you see, at that point, you you won't remember because all cognitive knowledge. I think really, again, we've over relied. We're perfectly designed to achieve what we're currently achieving. Uh, And and the thing is that most uh, forms of leadership over rely on the singular tool. And then I think it weakens us in other ways because we don't know what the other functions of Ecclesia are. Is it really, those sermons are it or, you know, that's a, so you ask the question, I think that's a big one we have to rely on. Uh, I, I think at the moment what's, what's, what we do have as asset is most churches have some idea of small groups. The problem is, is that most small groups uh, are really um, backstops for community, for the, what the church can't do on Sunday you can do during the week that's not it's not and what actually happens when you meet together it's usually trying to do the same things on midweek that you do on sunday so it's a mini sermon it's bible study There's a bit of prayer and you know it's a bit of you know getting to know each other and all that and then off you go so it tries to repeat the sunday experience really effectively it does the problem is that these are very very so at least it's there we can use this but that's not that's not a church and we never been comfortable in calling these ecclesial churches and yet i think that's where what they are uh, they if not fully churches they are good but they got the potential to be that and there's the there's a there's the asset that we have what would it mean to actually um, uh, transform um, under leadership some of those groups to becoming Ecclesia, or little expressions of church. We can call them micro-churches, if you will. Um, well, that, that, you know, in other words, and led by people who, you know, currently lead them, can they grow to around 40 and before they multiply? You know, yes, there's, there's lots that we're learning about that. It's like the 20 to 40, small enough to care, big enough to dare kind of groups, but, but led by people willing to call these Ecclesia. And the question is, why i say that is mostly we don't want to call them ecclesia or expressions of church or you know because well you know um we're worried about that right but how do then do we understand the new testament when you look at what's going on in the riverbank or in houses that's where the primary thing is going on the new testament calls them ecclesia so how come we can't use the word for a small group of people simply because they don't have the sacraments or some someone to actually administer sacraments. And I think this is where our understanding of the church and its scalability and its genius of, you know, giving agency to all of God's people and using the things in common life, which is our homes, our pubs, our common spaces, as the natural place for church to take place. Man, if we could find our way to that, everything changes. Because then the church gets out the building. And it's you know it's unstoppable at that point so can you do that can can some of us at least invest in ways forward not everyone wants to go there but there are 10 of your community right now that are willing to experiment with you what this looks like what would this be to take this community this little cell group and, and morph it into being a little mini church that then the mother church organizes and nurtures just like a parent would without controlling, but grows it up to maturity. Now that's that's the challenge, bro. Hmm. I think.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I I was thinking as you were describing that a couple of things, and one is that I, I've seen a couple of people on social media, other places saying like, this is a really great opportunity for the church to be the church, right? Which is a great thing to say, but depending on what you mean by church in that sentence, it is. More or less clear you know what's being asked of somebody right so if what they mean is this is a great time for us to gather together and hear a word and sing a song and you know and uh, etc it's not a great time for that because people are you know not gathering in large groups etc um, but if it's something different to be uh, very kind of radically local and small and on mission where you are wherever that is um, right now our movement is not limited you know we're allowed to go outside there's no curfew or there, nothing like that but our kids can't go to school and i'm not going to the office and our church isn't holding services and so our community is suddenly kind of radically um restricted to the to the floor of our apartment building <laughs> where we know all of our neighbors across the street and down the down the hall or across the hall down the hall um, i'm wondering what you might advise us uh, what would it mean for us to be the church if this is a great time for the church to be the church? Right. What would that mean for my family, uh, that's whooped up in our apartment, um, and the way we engage our neighbors or the way we think about our community that's now been really massively disrupted by cancellations and and other things? And what would you What would you say now before we can learn the lessons after this is all over? Right. Kind of right now. What it, What might it look like for us? Right.
1: Actually, you know, so like I'm a newbie, as you know, to New York City, probably now a little over a year and whatever. So, um, and I always loved the city, of course, as many people do. Um, and I do know cities. I mean, I've always lived in urban, highly urbanized areas, came from, you know, downtown LA before. So, um, um, but here's the thing is, you know, coming as a missionary, you know, coming with someone of, I think, fresh eyes, but I'm used to now. I think like a missionary, right? That's how I I see things. I've trained myself to do this over time. God has trained me, hopefully. Um, When I look at, say Manhattan, right? It's it's true of the rest of the other boroughs, but maybe less so, because Manhattan is just so high scale, you know, it's just up, (laughs) uh, high rise. Um, If I look at it and I think, if I look as a missionary and say, each of those little towers is a village. And like, what would it, and they filled with lonely people. Oh my goodness, this city is a lonely man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel it, you know, at a very kind of instinctive level. There's a lot of single people, a lot of older folk who kind of seem to be widowed, you know. I think there's a lot of that very highly divorced, very professional, everyone's working too hard. But there's a lot of really lonely people in the city. And I just think, I think if we can begin to look at our, Apartments is really our village that we've called to. To whom have I been sent? Well, I think you start with where God has sent you. If you're living in a certain place, then you have to express that sentness, that missionary identity as much as you can and using home. Uh, I've seen this, you know, where people have opened their home and very short, very, very in the city, our friends uh, um, Ryan and Laura Heston. You head up Forge, which is all about incarnational presence. Um, I mean, you've met them too. I mean, they're so hospitable. And what they did, and he's a Texan, you know. So you got these two Texans coming in. and So he smokes meat. Uh, (laughs) And I tell you what, all the guys, particularly in his entire apartment, he's got to know them through smoked meat. They all come down in droves and bring beer and they sit around. And he's open, uh, no kidding, one year. Is literally opened up a, a you know a whole community that people didn't know each other and they all needed grind in law's place you know. remarkable by using very basic things you know and safely you can do that safely you know when people learn how to you know wash your hands and you know, you know all that stuff that can be done but I think there's the metaphor at least one of them Brendan, uh, I think there's this notion that you know you're probably If you just looked around you, you could probably find that you really are in a mission field already. And, you know, using whatever's in your hand, you know, you can begin to kind of be faithful in that. Another way, actually, just to thinking about mission, uh, find out what sucks in your (laughs) neighbourhood. Find out who agrees with you. That it sucks, and do something about it. It's <laughs> that's a, that's a reasonable, it's a reasonable way of going about it. So ask people what they think sucks. That's great. And then what, what you know, agree with that, and just organise it. I think all that you might actually find things begin to happen.
0: That's missiological language that all of us can understand. I think I appreciate that psychology. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I, um, I wondered too with, um, uh, with worship, again, for right now, I see a lot of pastors spending a lot of energy on um, really trying to replicate what you just described as the sort of um, primary focus on the service, but definitely within the service on the sermon, and figuring out how to get that out via broadcast to, you know, to the congregation that's distributed, right? I wonder what you might advise for people who did that on Sunday and they're trying to figure out what to do this coming Sunday. Um, where, where might you advise them to put their energy as pastors of churches that are now distributed and they can't meet, but they're still trying to think about how to get that meeting experience out there in the world for people who can't gather?
1: Well, I, th- I think the idea of uh, just an online presence is probably in the long run counterproductive. Um, you know, I can see a few weeks of just doing, and then people sitting at home and what we're doing now. But I, I think we should be gathering if, as much as we can. And I, I you know, in, and safely. But I, I think we should, you know, we should be people not, should be very, very wise. And, but I think we've also got to demonstrate another way of being human. And this gives us an opportunity to be kind and, and open and generous and not fearful. Um, so I wondered whether, you know, whether one thing is I, I think they should be thinking about this, again, is, again, this time you use small group, smaller groups as sustainable forms, you know, now. And, and, and I think that, that as good leaders, they should invest in other leaders. so Just identify some and begin to invest in them to see how this can actually develop into a, a mini, you know, a mini Ecclesia. I think it's got to function fully with all the capacities of ecclesia that Jesus has given it. So how can we, how can we do that? How can we best achieve that? And if if this challenge for us is simply resolved by a bit of technology, then we keep doing exactly the same things, trying to expect fundamentally different results, um, you know, and that's definition of organisation sandy And we go back to default; you're still vulnerable. And then the next one comes along, and this is not a big threat. This one is. You know two percent it's terrible but it's two percent death toll and if we really just think about it that's not a you know just keep it proportionate to the threat wait till what something like the swine sorry not the the, the, the spanish flu of 1918 came out that was devastating and you talk about 30 40 percent of the world's population uh you know that that's when we really Experience this because everything collapses at that point, you know. Yeah, I just think uh, strengthen the other muscles, learn the other chess pieces what they can do. You know, uh, you know, porn can actually be quite a useful tool, not just there to, you know, throw them in the firing line, they can actually be quite useful and they can take out a queen if you know what you're doing with them.
0: Right. Looking at our chessboard again and thinking through investing in other leaders, I would guess that if you have a large church that's suddenly distributed right um, that you may think you may think you, you may feel as a pastor like you have six or eight leaders that you can rely on and and uh, who have an ability to teach or can uh, lead a small group successfully etc. but now suddenly you've got people in fifty places um, how, what can they do to maybe look at to, to reassess the pieces they have on the board and think about like who, who might they leverage that they would never have thought a week ago um, would be an asset and now they have to rely on them. Like what?
1: Yeah. what? Well, see, actually, I think these people in your, New- this is New York for goodness sake. I mean, there's a lot of good leaders out there. When most churches run, they, you know, most people, the best they can do is maybe, I mean, if you're in the suburbs somewhere, you know, you help with the car park or, you know, most people got nothing to do in the church. I mean, like so, the thing is, we have not developed leadership. So yes, no wonder we we in moments like this. And I would say use this as a kind of way of highlighting the fact that you need to identify and develop leaders in your midst. You know, and I think the key to any mental growth is what we call an L fifty leader. And it's a lead. It's a person who can lead fifty others. That's the absolute key mm. to viable missional impact over time. And so we tend to think either leaders as a high level, you know, and, and in America it's like leaders of tens of thousands. It's kind of like that. That's what we think a real leader is. But actually, in the Bible, it's much closer to the ground. You know, it's a leader of a house church, which is 50 people. You know, I think we need to train more at that level, and that's boot camp training on the job coaching. It's not sending to seminary for three years to learn. About their scatological prognostications of the Hittite people and who the hell cares, right? <laughs> uh, I think it's just, you know, it's discipleship based learning and teaching people the basic skills of what it means for the church. I think develop your strengths there, begin to identify and, you know, both create disciples and out of disciples, you create leaders. I think that you've got to bolster that and then you can go places with that you know, should another thing like this take place? Or if you use the energy of this uh, to fundamentally reframe how you go forward. And I think that's what we've got to do. I hope that many of us do. To say, okay, this was a learning for us. Let's not just go back to default mode uh, as if this didn't happen. Let's learn and let's begin to kind of develop dimensions of us of what we do now, you know, that kind of means that we won't be caught uh, of God, should something like this happen again, and the fact is that you can then see beginning the beginnings of the movement through
0: what we're doing. That's great, and it does strike me that what you're describing—investing in people who can lead small groups, not small groups as a as a uh, program, but smaller groups of people—offer pastoral care to smaller groups of people, etc. Um, that's the kind of thing that, with the energy and time, you might have. Been spending running other programs right now. Um, that feels like something you could start doing even before we've learned all the lessons we might learn Absolutely. through this process. Yeah. Um, you can begin that the way we're having this conversation, um, and uh, yeah, it may may find more possibilities during this this uh, uncertain season.
1: I think as leaders, if we you know we're speaking to leaders now, and we so said like it's your responsibility, our responsibility as leaders. To define what is real. Now Max P said that's brilliant. I think define what is real, and so I think the the the, the battle is one at the level of first and foremost of imagination. I think if you can't think it, you can't do it. That's Einstein. You can't think it, you can't do it. You can't imagine it, you can't do it. So I think battle is first and foremost in reimagining who we are, what our functions are. Here. And there's tons of good literature now on this. In the last 20 years or so, the whole missional church movement has raised this awareness. at a very deep level of, not all of it, but much of it is very deep and very thoughtful, missiological, you know, learning what we learned in the two-thirds world and applying it in, you know, in the Western context and missions to the Western world, which is Newbigin strength. So I think it, you know, I think I would use this as an opportunity to reconfigure the paradigm and to reset the template uh, and not simply go on, you know, just go back to what you did before and expect fundamentally different results. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, never waste a good crisis. You know, Winston Churchill said that. Uh, so this is a good one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For sure. And it's not
1: gonna kill us, but it's, it should make us, you know, smarter. Uh, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right?
0: Right. <laughs> well, you're um, you're across town now, but you're heading out of town soon. Um, sad to see you go, uh, because we just got you back. Yes, and I did.
1: Two, two weeks, and I've got to go back, <laughs> mainly for family reasons, and uh, back to Australia, but I'll be back maybe in May,
0: hopefully. Good. Good. Well, I look forward to more of this, and hopefully, in person, the next time. in right. uh, time. Uh, is there anything you want to leave people with? Anything we didn't say that you want to say before um, before we go off?
1: Yeah, no. Don't waste it, man. Don't waste the crisis. Uh, and be brave and be strong. You're already dead. You died in Christ. You're a dead man walking. Uh, <laughs> you know nothing can kill you. You know off you go. Just be that kind of people. I, I think you know. Don't be cowering in the corner. Yeah. Be wise. You know, be innocent as doves. No, innocent as doves. Wise ser- as serpents. Yeah. <laughs> the other mind, the wolves. Yeah? <laughs> interesting little myth. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Image there, isn't it?
0: Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Pleasure, bye. Yeah. Thanks. Good stuff.